in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Three brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Chad Robinson. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well tonight. All right, and coming from us to, or sorry, coming from Spokane, Washington to us via satellite, Brian Fry. Good morning, evening, afternoon, or whatever time of day it is, guys. Good morrow. No, uh, don't do that. Our <laughs> Aussie listeners just just tuned out. That was all, Chad, Chad says hard pass on that. <laughs> so, we know you guys pretty well. Everybody here knows each other pretty well, but the listeners don't know us quite well enough. So let's just uh, let's break the ice here a little bit. What was your best gift you got for Christmas this year, Brian? Oh, I'm totally gonna cop out on this. So our big news is we're having a baby. It's a pretty big gift, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so I knew about it before Christmas, but it's definitely been the, uh, the the big Christmas present to the whole family. Everybody's super ecstatic about it. I thought my parents were going to, like, fall out of the couch when we told them. Oh, that's and, so uh, Yeah. So boy or girl, we find out next month. I'm sure I'll put it on the podcast, too. So, yeah, having a baby. So you'll be doing Look Who's Talking here in that would be very months. appropriate, actually. I thought about doing something like that last year, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, every, Mr. Mom. Every, year, every year somebody on this podcast has a kid, so uh, looking at you for next year, Chad. <laughs> no. Don't put that evil on me. I, 2021 I, I thought the last podcast quashed that. Yeah, don't, don't you put that evil on me. Chad, what was your best Christmas gift this year? Uh, I, too, am going to cop out. Uh, I have a three-year-old who's really starting to enjoy Christmas, so we didn't do a lot between my wife and I. But my daughter got these little stuffed dogs of Paw Patrol and just, she grabbed them immediately when she saw them and squeezed them to her chest and kind of uh, shook around. And she was just so enchanted by this gift and it just warmed my heart. All right. I would like to make us, I have a suggestion for both of you next Christmas, get both of your littles real dogs. No, three cats. We're already that house. Don't you put that evil on me, sir. <laughs> that, that, that's my turn to use Chad's line. <laughs> um, oh, no, no, I love can't. our dog. It's the best. We're, yeah, we're 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 up to our uh, we're we're at full capacity with what we can handle in life right now. Uh, so, um, uh, nerdy one for me. I got a book of Pittsburgh architecture, so it's very cool, particularly folks. So I got to start with time period. Like I'd want this done now with current tech i want x-men redone recast by either joss whedon or kevin smith oh josh whedon would be fun yeah 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 i think whedon's your guy for sure i want smith and batman you know i i I don't i know he's more of a dc guy and that's unfortunate but um i think that he as a comic book person he would he would do it justice oh yeah so either of those two guys i'd be really happy uh redoing x-men okay and Chad, 
a recency bias, but I'm going to do The Last Jedi and J.J. Abrams. Okay, that, you know, that's a that's a common uh, people people. There, that was a polarizing movie, and there were a lot of people who didn't like this one yeah, as much. I left the last Skywalker's or Rise of Skywalker saying I either want this to be directed by Ryan Johnson or I want Ryan Johnson's movie directed by J.J. Abrams. I don't care which. But... I'm in the same spectrum as you guys because I'm going to go with Man of Steel, and I'm going to go for uh, instead of I'd like I'd like to make Christopher Nolan do this. I don't know that uh, he would. I think he actually had a producing partial role with with it but uh on the other hand i'd like to him to direct it and bring the magic that he did for the dark knight series to the dc extended universe so okay just just for clarity's sake uh we are saying that with new director become comes new screenplay new cast everything right yes. well the director yeah the director runs like, it's the not, show everything it's not different. it's not okay so that so I, 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 well, I it, the whole you know, it could be a little confusing you could be, be like i want the exact same story under under Christopher Nolan's watch, although I don't think he would take this project after doing three Batman movies, but he did yeah, such a good job. Right. <laughs> so, this is a ton of fun. Today's movie has a ton of video game references. So, what are your top five video games of all time, Fry? You know, uh, I'm I'm really curious about what everybody's is going to be on this because, like mine, there there are some winners in there in terms of everybody's lists and then there's some some dark horses in there so i'm excited to hear everybody's i also uh edited this list about 11 times <laughs> I, I probably spent more time on this list than i did prepping for the movie itself so at number five is going to be call of duty black ops it was the vietnam flashback game and it was fantastic i love the single player story i love the multiplayer it's hands down the one that I got the most uh, online game time with friends. So it definitely had the biggest legs uh, of the franchise for me. Coming in at number four is Nintendo 64 Classic Goldeneye. Probably my favorite first person shooter of all time just based on uh, the memories. I'd love, love, love the opportunity to play this game on an online format like you can the Call of Duties now. Number three is Mario Kart 64 huge Mario Kart fan. I miss it. I'm no longer a Nintendo person just based on the um, limited number of games that I'd be purchasing for the system. Definitely more party games than me playing by myself, which is what happens a lot these days. Uh, number two is Elder Scrolls Oblivion. There has never been a game that I have sunk more of my life into. I think if you translated the number of hours I played that game into learning other languages, I would probably know four different languages at this point. <laughs> and uh, number one, and this is going to be the real dark horse because I did not like the series at all until this game. And the only reason I gave it the time of day is it was the best bundle that was available when I got an Xbox One. But number one, which completely changed my mind about the entire franchise, is Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Okay. It is basically Grand Theft Auto with piracy. Yeah. You just sail the Caribbean and pirate. And just walked in one day. I had the day off. I had a bottle of rum on the coffee table. I had Black Sails playing on my laptop. And I was playing Black Flag. And she was like, are you serious right now? And I was <laughs> like, listen, I just want to do pirate things with my pirate friends. Need uh, Hans Zimmer in the background or Klaus Pedout. Yeah, man. Oh my gosh, I was having a blast. It was that game was so much fun. Those were some solid picks, man. Chad, what are your top five 
video games of all time my number five i love real-time strategies so i'm going with rise of nations it's not one that a lot of people know but solid it's uh it's a great pc game yep, definitely played it yeah love it uh number four i'm gonna go a little earlier than fry with the elder scrolls but mine is morrowind uh, elder scrolls i loved being able to break the game and fly around and do a lot of things that oblivion didn't let me do uh, i do love oblivion though how, how many doom doom cheat codes do you remember <laughs> you know what i didn't have doom growing up oh okay because uh, i, I, I do kfa I all day <laughs> i i do remember all of the uh age of empires uh old cheat codes with uh, the cars and things like that. My number three is Bayonetta. I love the action game. And my number two is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. This was my number one game of all time until very, very recently. This is kind of serendipity with a lot of the themes that went on in the podcast today. But my number one is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Wow. Okay, yeah, so that is very recent then. Yeah, yeah, I was blown away. I'm not usually a huge Zelda guy, so I love that one, though. Yeah, Ocarina of Time just barely missed mine. That gets an honorable mention for me, but my top five are going to be Mario Kart, and I'm going to go Double Dash. Yep, that's my favorite. I just, it was a good collection of levels, and I loved the two-player playability where you could have a casual gamer just be your gunner, and that was fun. Civilization VI is definitely my next one. Uh, If This is a highly addictive game, so uh, I, I love... I also like real-time kind of strategy and then, but it's not just battling. So it's actually building a civilization. So it's kind of got the best of SimCity plus StarCraft and, or, uh, or War, uh, War, uh, sorry, uh, Warcraft kind of all combined into what I like the most there. So Civilization Six is definitely the deepest and best game like that I've seen. Fire Emblem Path of Radiance is an amazing game that came out for the GameCube. And uh, I guess there's a little bit of GameCube similarity here. You're going to see a little more of that. And, Goldeneye. Roy's our boy. Roy's our boy. <laughs> Goldeneye uh, from the Nintendo 64 is just that amazing moment where you could have split-screen four-player first-person shooter on a console gaming system. It was always a perfect dark guy, but I, I understand the Goldeneye Ooh, Yes, I'm a huge Bond fan, so even just playing the single-player game and all the special levels and you know waltzing around with the Moonraker laser and stuff like that and getting to play as Jaws and Baron Siamity and stuff like that, oh, it, was yeah. just, it was it was awesome. I, Hungry midget. Yeah. No odd job. That was the rule for everyone. <laughs> yeah, so there were so many fun ways to play. Loved it. And my number one one, and I probably have put so many hours into this, uh, it was definitely my college favorite, Smash Brothers Melee. So, Love Smash Brothers. There's a lot of GameCube there. I just You can clearly yeah. tell where my, my gaming peaked. Ultimate did replace Melee for me. I love Smash Ultimate. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I now need to reconsider. I completely forgot about Knights of the Old Republic. That probably knocks Black Ops off my for my number five. I love that game way too much to not have it on the list. Revan's just and uh, like you all said, man. I, gosh, I wasn't even thinking about uh, PC really, um, and I should have been. I, I was very much. I had blinders on for console games. There was a game back in the day as also real time strategy called Total Annihilation. Yes. And if I'm honest, I probably dumped more time into that than all these other games combined. If you know, just just adding up most of uh, my teen years. Loved it. Loved it so much. Supreme Commander was a great follow-up. Yeah. Now, Brian, you nominated today's movie. What movie are we doing today? We are doing Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World comes out in 2010. 
it gets $31.5 million in the box office, which places it 96th on the year. It comes in behind She's Out of My League and just ahead of uh, the dreamy Zac Efron and Charlie St. Cloud. Hmm. <laughs> Chad's a fan of, Chad must be a fan <laughs> of that one. <laughs> <laughs> the number one movie from 2010 was Avatar, but technically Avatar comes out the year before in 2008. So the number one movie that debuted that year was Toy Story 3. IMDb gives this movie a 7.5. Uh, however, on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics give it an 81%, and the audience likes it even more and gives it an 83%. It didn't get any major awards, but the Satellite Awards nominated it for four of their awards, and it came away with two, including Best Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy for Michael Sarah, and Best Film Musical or Comedy. Brian, you, you uh, had seen this one before, so what were you expecting coming into it this time? What was it like the first time you saw it? Give us your background. This is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it, it's a very all-purpose movie. I feel like if you like comedies, it's got it. If you like some kind of cheesy action, it's got it. If you love music, it's got it. Like it's It's got all the... It's got so many people in it. It's got people in terrible cameos. I mean, this was a good bad movie that wasn't bad <laughs> like it was like it succeeded on so many levels for me so the first time i saw it was uh, almost by accident jess and i went to the movies just to see something fun and man we really came away with it like both of us left that movie uh i, I compare this movie a lot to nick and nora's infinite playlist but uh just from a a, a music film sort of uh, point of view but I, I don't know, I, this movie just, anytime I put this movie on, and it's not super often, uh, it just makes me happy. It's just a really fun movie. What was it like coming back to it today? Uh, well, I li literally just watched it today, so. <laughs> uh, coming back to it today, uh, I've, I actually watched this in three different ways. I started watching it in my living room, I finished watching it on my iPad in my kitchen while I was cooking lunch. This is, I mean, it's it's an easy movie just to put on and watch. Or not watch. If you've seen it enough and you kind of know what's going on, this is an easy movie just to have playing. Nice. And Chad, had you seen this one before? Yes. Yeah, I actually caught this one in theaters. So I enjoyed it back then. I, I got caught by surprise because I am not really a Michael Sarah guy. Uh, but this movie hit all the right notes for me. This was in, his, this was in Michael Sarah's prime for sure. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan as a director oh definitely now would you say this movie's held up well over the time and is it a good watch today absolutely the only thing that really stood out to me was using a payphone but i think they were almost trying to make a joke of like yeah toronto still uses payphones okay <laughs> <laughs> so for me I, I had seen this one before i saw it probably when it shortly hit video or the rental store which was still a thing and uh, I enjoyed it at the time, but I, it didn't stick with me. I'd really forgotten about it and didn't really remember anything about it, really. I, so I know I watched it, but it just didn't stick with me. And uh, I came back to it. So first time in probably about 10 years that I'd seen it. So I was, uh, I, I, my, my take was this was enjoyable, but I, I have to admit, probably still won't stick with me a long time, even though I just watched it twice uh, in the preparation for this. It's it's enjoyable, but I also like I said it's um, it's uh, it's it's got awesome style, but the substance is the part where it just doesn't stick with me for a long time. So, it is a very creative movie, and there's nothing like it. And I'll definitely give it a lot of kudos for that as we go forward. So, I should warn people 
as we move forward, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, you're going to want to go check it out. It's actually available on Netflix at the moment. And come back and listen to the rest of this. So we'll be back after these messages. Good morning, dedicated listener. The Retro Movie Roundtable needs your help gathering feedback, promoting the show, and growing their community of movie-loving fans such as yourself. This classified information is so important, we're only calling on our most skilled officers and agents to handle the case. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and leave a rating and review. Then proceed to like Retro Movie Roundtable on Facebook. If at any point in your mission, you need to contact us at base, you may also make correspondence via email at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. Should you or any of your friends be caught, killed, or exposed, the Retro Movie Roundtable will disavow any knowledge of your actions. The cassette tape inside your listening device will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, listener. Alright, we're back, and this is our final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, if you haven't seen Scott Pilgrim vs. the World since 2010, Chad, why don't you give people a refresher? Spoiler time. Hooray. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, played by Michael Sarah, is a 22-year-old loser that's drifting through life while trying to make it with his band, the Sex Bombs. He's dating a 17-year-old high school student named Knives Chow. She's Chinese. Who's infatuated with Scott's fame and talent. Insert finger quotes there. Uh, at a party, Scott runs into the mysterious Ramona Flowers, who he promptly dubs as the girl of his dreams. Sets up a date with Ramona, but soon finds out that she comes with a lot of baggage. Scott is attacked during his band's audition at the Battle of the Bands, finds out he must do video game-style battle with Ramona's evil exes that include an emo kid, an actor, a goth, Japanese twins, a super-powered vegan, and music producer Gideon in order to win her heart. Along the journey, Scott has to balance two girlfriends, his band's auditions, and a host of vengeful exes. Gideon, the final ex, signs the sex bombs to a contract and defeats Scott in combat, but Scott is granted an extra life. He uses the life to reconcile how much of a jerk he's been throughout his life, apologizing to his bandmates and to Knives and Ramona. He earns the power of self-respect, and with the help of Knives, is able to defeat Gideon and win over Ramona. No new game plus needed. All right, all right. Oh, the power of self-respect. <laughs> I like Gideon's raised eyebrow with that. Like, what? <laughs> so, Brian, what do you think about the story, which is based on a graphic novel? So, uh, this is one of the few things where the uh, the graphic novel's been readily available to me, and I haven't read it. Uh, this is an issue with how it's drawn. It's a weird, fickle thing I have with uh, comics. Anyway... I really like the story, and I love how the movie was produced and written. I like the visuals. If you're really, if you've never even heard of this movie, and you're just looking for something funny and different, please try this out. Agreed. So, Chad, we got a lot of video game references uh, and music references all coming together here, playing in part of this, as well as kind of a graphic novel style that's all put into here. But we'll get into the style of that a little bit later. What did you think about the, uh, I mean, we kind of have a uh, format where it's it sets the stage and then it goes through pretty much a series of uh, graphically interesting fight scenes leading up to the end. So what was your take on on that structure? Yeah, I, I love 
everything that Edgar Wright manages to do. It's almost like a, a love letter to the different genres. He's he's staying somewhat true to the graphic novel as far as a lot of the wardrobe. Uh, there's cool comic type uh, interludes, especially when Ramona's describing things. There's great. Uh, it's not Street Fighter that they're referencing, but I definitely get the Street Fighter vibe with the KOs and stuff like that. The music interwoven with it is actually really catchy, and we've we'll talk about it later. But there are some uh, there's some serious heavyweights helping out here. Yeah, I I love it. It's one of the things where uh, for me. I love uh, this movie, as I mentioned, is very strong in the style. So I want to give Edgar Wright a lot of credit. But I think the source material doesn't really jump out at me. It's one of those things where it, there wasn't a lot here. And we have a two hour long movie. And perhaps I could have done with a couple of fewer X's. <laughs> so maybe five X's is my threshold on this one. And so, uh, you know, maybe knocking off the uh, Asian twins who they come into contact with in the Battle of the Bands. Well, oh, if we could just that, cut, cut cut that whole part out, maybe or something like that. Fight was pretty cool, though. Um, I don't know. I, I was I was wearing down at that point, so my stamina was going down, and I think that that is because these characters aren't really evolving. You've got a ton of really good cast members, which we'll get into here in a second, and I don't feel like, uh, you know, obviously Michael Sarah's awesome in this. He's he's his nervous energy is something i love i don't know unfortunately i guess he was the right age at the right time and unfortunately as he got older the roles didn't demand that kind of nervous energy that he had he carried this really well and but i found myself one wanting more of the side characters to be involved more heavily and to actually be developed a little bit more and not just this movie's solely about scott as it moves through it but is it, Scott Pilgrim's versus. The it world. is called Scott Pilgrim versus. World. It's true, but you can have other characters who have some. Depth, and apparently, is what I'm saying. So, <laughs> like, uh, you know, you know, it, it in an essence, Scott's a very selfish character, and so that's somewhat appropriate. But on the other hand, I also felt like over the span of two hours, I felt like that was starting to wear on me a little bit. So maybe the movie had been a little bit shorter. Or had we dove into some of these other things and made more interesting characters and have the characters in, engage with each other a little bit more? Because I thought that we had an interesting set of characters, but I just didn't feel like they they got to be fully utilized. Young Neil does become Neil. So there's character growth for you. That is something that happened, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so the, let's talk about the cast here. Brian, do you want to give us a cast rundown? Sure, Russ. Our main character is Michael Sarah, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, we also have Kiernan Culkin, which is the first movie I can remember seeing him in. Um, he was in Home, Home Alone. Alone. Yeah, Home Alone, definitely. He was the cousin. <laughs> uh, Anna Kendrick is Stacy Pilgrim. I think that's probably the first movie I remember seeing her in. Um, Allison Pill is Kim Pine. Aubrey Plaza is Julie Powers. Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Ramona Flowers. Jason Schwartzman is Gideon Graves. We have Johnny Simmons as young neil we have mark weber as steven stills we have ellen wong as knives chow and i'm going to toss out a couple other fun ones here i'm going to skip some evil x's uh for russell's sake and i also want to do a toss out to uh, chris evans kind of buried in the cast here as uh, lucas lee so you'll see some familiar faces including one that's going to be my hidden gem i'm going to leave off this list okay you mentioned kieran culkin and i thought it was just fantastic that you added him in there because uh I, you mentioned 
earlier that you hadn't seen him in anything since then, but uh, Home Alone is yep. uh, he's he's Fuller, the the cousin, the cousin. who wets who wets the bed because he drinks too much Pepsi. Other casting notes: Director Edgar Wright ran all of his casting decisions through the creator Brian Lee O'Malley uh, during the casting session, and surprisingly, there were no major studio interferences. He said with the casting, and they didn't really have an issue with all the unknowns. Again, they kind of felt safe with Michael Sarah as a surefire hit. Yeah, I mean, he was big in Arrested Development at the time. Yes, and he is coming off of Superbad. Oh, I, I didn't realize that was before that. Let's yes. check here. Yeah, well after. Yeah, that came out to that. So, wow. so he had already had a big hit in, from 2007 with Superbad as well. Chad, any of the casting comments? Yeah, you you mentioned Edgar Wright, and he was actually paranoid because this was his first uh, American film. Most of his films are set with... Uh, in England. So he made a requirement of, I'm not going to cast any British people. Uh, Satya Babia, uh, I'm butchering his name, he plays Matthew Patel. He is actually British, but he faked a British accent or, or an American accent, and they didn't realize until they were filming that this dude is actually English. So good on Satya for getting under the radar there. I, I'll throw in one more because I think this is funny. Uh, Ellen Wong. She plays Knives Chow, and she's supposed to be 17. She's three years older than Michael Sarah. There's some other funny age uh, casting in here. Anna Kendrick is the, you know, she mentions him as being the little brother. But in reality, she is, uh, so he's 22 and Stacey Pilgrim's 18. In real life, the actor Michael Sarah is nearly three years younger than actress Anna Kendrick. So. So I want to play a little game here. Let's see if you guys can do this. So we have, by my count, six superhero actors. Can you pick out who the superheroes are between the two of you? Okay. Well, Michael Sarah is the voice of Dick Grayson. Okay, so you got Lego Batman. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in Sky High. Yeah, uh, I shouldn't. I don't know what that is either. What is it? Uh, it was a superheroes in high school. Okay, you, I didn't. I didn't have that one. Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Okay, so you found one that I didn't even know. Aubrey Plaza was in Legion. Okay, Brian's just like uh, <laughs> out in my field. Uh, Chris Evans is obviously Captain America. And uh, we had Bill Hader. And wow, yeah, the Human Fantastic Torch. Four. Yeah. Bill Hader is uh, Batman. He was the narrator voice. Bill Hader's the narrator of yep. Scott yes. Pilgrim? Oh, yes. Okay. Actually, I missed that Scott one. Pilgrim. I'm a yeah. huge Bill Hader fan. I'm surprised I didn't catch that. So uh, that's... that's uh, so okay. getting more than you expected. Yeah. Okay. Brian? Brian, Brian, the other ones that you picked up. I've oh. got at least one more. Brandon Ralph. He is uh, Superman in the Atom. Yep, that's not it. Okay. What well, am I missing, Fry? Th- Thomas Jane, the vegan police is thomas the Pun- jane's the punisher yep. oh that was oh wow i i completely missed that was thomas jane yep yep but uh good catch you did more than you did you found more than i did so there were, <laughs> i had six and you you clearly took it up to i think eight there this film also includes one oscar winner with brie larson and another oscar nominee for anna kendrick as well so there's some oscar heavyweights in there too so <laughs> nothing for jason schwartzman this movie features a series of stunt doubles for Chris Evans's character in this, and one of those 
stunt doubles for Lucas Lee is actually a stunt double that actually works with Chris Evans. Yeah, I love that. That was a nice touch. Moving forward, this was created by artist Brian Lee O'Malley, as we mentioned before. He completed the first volume of Scott Pilgrim, and his uh, his publisher, uh, Ani Press, contacted producer Mark Platt to produce the film adaptation. Michael Bacall came in to help co-write it with Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, the director, as uh, we had mentioned earlier, comes in, and he works very closely with O'Malley and helps to make this creation in line with what the comic book vision was and just kind of contributing lines and adding polish to it throughout the process. So it's nice to see that the creator had a lot of say in this so that it still felt like there's going forward. It's kind of funny. O'Malley had mentioned at the time that he really wasn't into making the movie, uh, but you know, it was more of a, Hey, like I I need money kind of thing. And, um, but uh, it worked out better in the end. So right. Was good to work with. Better than Michael Caine in Jaws 3. Four, man. Sorry, Jaws 4. That's the second time. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Jaws 3. You were still terrible, but for different reasons. Yeah, I was going to say, Chad always blacks out Jaws 3D. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, The original concept for Scott Pilgrim was based around two premises. The first was an idea of what if, after playing a life of fighting games, someone confronted you and actually led to the ability to fight in a Street Fighter-like character so that's that street fighter feel that you might have mentioned and the second concept that brian lee o'malley had was while dating his future wife hope larson that he learned that uh, she had dated three different guys all named matthew and so he kind of came up with the idea of the league of matthews (laughs) and so this is kind of a merger so he took that evil exes merging it together with the fighting game concept of being able to do that and drifting into the dream world of the fighting games and uh they all come together to create Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So it's a movie of a ton of references. Brian, what do you take? What's your take on this creation that Edgar Wright does in his role as a director? I mean, we've already talked about this is you know a really fun movie. Uh, there are so many different aspects and avenues that went into making this a, a truly unique film. And uh, it's, it's a, blessed blending of so many things that i love that uh it's just it's hard not to to say uh too many nice things about it a movie that thrives heavily on references obviously to music and video games and comics to to a lesser extent on comics but and if you ask my wife that's literally what i thrive on to (laughs) the point of annoyance (laughs) Yeah, I'm, uh, Nintendo's very guarded with their properties, so Edgar Wright must have really sweet-talked him. I, I know he wrote in and said the Legend of Zelda line was uh, the lullaby of our generation, which was really nice, but it was surprising that Nintendo loaned out it as much as they did, especially the sex bombs. Well, I mean, yeah. it's good advertising. I mean, yeah. it makes people want to go play those games. So. Although the Scott Pilgrim game was not on any Nintendo platforms. That's true. That's true. I don't know. I just didn't feel compelled to play a video game of Scott Pilgrim. I guess it would have been, was it a fighting game? I take it. Uh, it was more Streets of Rage like. So a beat really? up. Yeah. Oh man, I figured it'd be like you know your straight up Mortal Kombat slash Street Fighter kind of like oh, no. you know start like no fight. flashing red bosses and things that harkens back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the X Men games like that. Huh. Yeah, it's it's very uh, uh arcade style. Mm-hmm. 
the other thing that I thought was referencing that Wright did was there are a lot of fast cuts. The pace of this movie is really, really fast. So the scenes are short and the transitions are very creative. I'd say the transitions that Wright takes takes advantage of are probably the backbone of the style of this movie that I was talking about. Uh, things happen so quickly and then he lapses time. I think in the comic books or the, sorry, I'm going to say comic books over and over, the graphic novel, uh, sorry. In the graphic novel, this this story takes over place over a year, but in this, it looks like it happens within days. Right. And it's one of those interesting things where he makes it, it picks it up and it makes it move. And despite my comment of it feels like it overstays its welcome, the pace is very fast. And it's one of those things where you're at a party, the next minute you're not at a party, you're looking forward to trying to set up a meeting with the girl, then the next moment she's at the door. And it's one of those things where the transitions that they're very creative. And I think that that was, that's just one of the, when I think of this movie going forward, that's the part that'll stick with me for sure. Oh yeah. The creativity's through the roof. I mean, even just some of the references, like pulling a hammer out of your purse, that's literally called hammer space. So that was a cool touch of like, she brings out an actual hammer and then it winds up being the soul caliber reference of we've got Astaroth and Ivy fighting uh styles you've got the whip and you've got the giant axe slash hammer so that was cool yeah now one thing i thought was surprising upon watching it a second time was how not cohesive it was one moment you're getting these fast forward like moments then there's this surreal moment where you're in this dreamlike sequence where scott's daydreaming and then the next minute he's like talking to ramona and there's this voiceover that has like this black screen that comes on with like white illustrations yeah where he's like board. he's like the, you know it's just like saying like oh the breakup was mutual and like another it, deep it voice wasn't. comes. yeah it wasn't and it's one of those things where it doesn't come back it, they don't do that any other time in the movie and so there's a lot of one-off directorial decisions and I'm not sure that I, I think that might have I'm not sure how that went down for me is what I'm is what kind of what I'm getting at. Brian, did you like how this movie changed its approach? I mean, at one point it's just flat out a Seinfeld episode. I think that it does a lot for me just giving my scattered attention anyway. Uh, That's true. I think by almost being more scattered, it hones me in better. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's truly, truly a unique film. Yeah, Friday's thrive off the Family Guy style of squirrel. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Actually. Yeah, the, the, this is very it's... well catered to, to, to your to your style. I didn't think about that. It's literally squirrel is literally my nickname at work. So <laughs> yeah, interesting. So yeah, I, this kind of does go down your Family Guy robot chicken of like you know we're gonna change it up completely. It's Monty Python, and now for something completely different. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let me th- see how many different juxtapositions I can throw at you at once, and how many do you get? See, where Monty Python's creative is that, like, those characters start to weave together later. Yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to take the opposite approach of you, Russell. I, I feel like if any of these one-trick pony-type things had gone throughout the movie, they would have overstayed their welcome. I, I wouldn't want to voice over every transition or... I feel like it would have gotten annoying, but I like the little Ramona flower shorts or the Bill Hader interjections. I I enjoyed them just being kind of one-off or short, and even the dream sequences. The fights also, so like I like the hand-to-hand combat fights, like the one between Matthew Patel 
which was the first X, who mm. comes in, he has powers like fireballs and like he's fighting in a hand-to-hand kind of combat style. And later on, uh, boyfriend number three has powers as well, and it's a hand-to-hand combat kind of thing. But then later on, at like the Battle of the Bands, you're like creating these sonic monsters out of your sound that's more akin to like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or something like that. And like the Zords are like going at it with yeah. their, with their sound. And see, I thought it was I thought it was very Ghostbusters. Yeah, a little bit. I could see that. Huh. I love Ghostbusters. Explain. Well, I mean, you've got them using basically electronics. I thought it goes back to basically a reversal of the traps they use to trap ghosts. Okay, I thought you were going to the Statue of Liberty route. And, and you uh, you can even take like maybe a Pokemon reference to this in terms of them unleashing something to fight someone else's something. Yeah, I got Rampage because it was a lizard and a gorilla type monster punching on each other. Okay, yeah, I I, might, I don't know why I can, I my head was just so in old video games. My head went to Double Dragon because there were yeah. two dragons. Yep. Uh, that would be a good I, one. I didn't have a, I didn't have a one to one for for what the sex bombs were. I felt like they should have been a bomb, and and it very well may not be. I, I felt like they should have had a bomb from Mario. They did. They, what on the drum cover? It no, was... they're, they're, they're they're monster though. Like their monster, oh, like when yeah. they were playing, should have been a bomb. Yeah, because like their music's very explosive, very sonic, and like I'd like to see the bomb just come up like waddle over there and <laughs> blow up the devil dragon. I did think it was funny that the vegan essentially was Goku from. Dragon Ball Z. Okay, and that's yes, that's that's another one of those funny things. Scott actually doesn't defeat any of them by himself, other than Matthew Patel. Yep, yeah, that's the only one he defeats. The Bollywood dancing scene. If you're listening to this and have not seen this movie, you're gonna be like, "What is going on?" You've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's Dolph Sim with Bollywood. Yeah, so that's another one-off. So they see this, that I, my first thought. So we get the first villain; he's singing, and I'm like, "Okay, this is going to be music." By the way, this is not good singing. I, I don't know. Oh, that was so fun though. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then there's no more singing from the villains after Brie, that. Brie Larson's envy. I mean, she's, she's not, not an ex. ex yeah. 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 I don't know, but there's a lot to talk about soundtrack on oh, this yeah. one. Way more than usual. Uh, any other stylistic directorial things that you want to point out, Brian? No. As a clue to the fights of the evil exes, Scott uh, encounters these little X's in the films. I like these. This is like the tracks in the snow that they're making. It yeah. zooms out overhead and there's an X on the ground, you know, kind of indicating that there are X's on the way. One of the best ones was uh, he's walking through a crosswalk and there's five X's and he's about to hit X number five. Oh, at yeah. That point. The uh, number, there's five X's remaining. Sorry. The numbers on the buildings, they're... Even their shirts, um, there are X's in the shadows of the swings, all of that. And the best is the X-Men patch. X-Men patch. On his jacket? Yes. Yep. Which, no patch comes off your jacket so easily. I'm okay. He'd been to war. That was like three X's in. I'm fine with it. Okay. Uh, Now, Chad, any other references that you particularly loved in this one? Oh, my goodness. There were so many. I mean, there was the Mario coin sound, the, the fairy fountain sound. From Legend of Zelda was great. Uh, their shirts were the color of the great fairies. There was uh, there was red, there was green, and there was blue. Uh, there was a lot of Zelda references, like the weapon acquisition. Uh, you'd hear that sound, or whenever you got some form of object. Uh, you mentioned Seinfeld, the KOs, just from Street Fighter and things like that. 
um, rock band on his shirt. Destroying villains and getting coins? Yeah. I, I did like the rock band bass symbol on his shirt. Um, yeah, there was there was so much. One thing that I thought was interesting is that it pokes fun at hipster culture yes. throughout this as well. And they go yes. after perceived pretentiousness, particularly in the music industry. I, I, their friend uh, Como, I think it was his yes. name. This was a character. So this is an example of a character that if we're going to stick around for two hours, I'd rather have him influence and have more conversations directly with them. And uh, he was hilarious uh, with all the things that he would say. I like his, like, their first album is much better than their first album. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that is so funny. Or young Neil, after just seeing the band live, he's like, they're better when you see them live. Yep, yep, yep. So there's these little moments sprinkled in through that... Um, upon a second watch there's good stuff in the background but i want to see some of that stuff come up to the foreground because this is again perhaps maybe it's my music fan trumping my video game fan part of this there's a lot of that kind of spinal tap humor that i want to see come more to the forefront here because there's some good stuff in there yeah there was a spinal tap reference for you did you notice their knobs went to 11 sure enough the scene that i said that we need to cut yeah the 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 asian twins who are uh playing uh uh, they turned up their amps to 11, <laughs> which is, I think, is elevated now above Spinal Tap to just, you know, music culture in general. Oh, yeah. Amps this go is, to 11. This is in the zeitgeist. You see, the amps go to 11. <laughs> yeah, but you could just make amps that are louder that peak at 10. No, no, no 11's louder than 10 because it's more than 10. <laughs> oh, I'd love to do Spinal Tap someday. Uh, now, this is really different from Edgar Wright's previous work. Brian, are you a fan of Edgar Wright in general? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so this is really take, different for his stuff, you. though. I mean, he got Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, World's End. All of these things are kind of these Simon Pegg vehicles and stuff like that. Uh, yes, I am a huge fan. Um, in addition to Scott Pilgrim, he actually does one of my other favorite soundtrack-driven movies in Baby Driver. This was a movie that I literally marketed to every single family member I have. Like, you got to go see this. You've got to watch it. It uses music masterfully. He is... He's, he would be the go-to guy. If you want a movie that is driven by its soundtrack and literally interlaced within the entire film, uh, this is your guy. What about you, Chad? Edgar Wright as a director. Oh, I, I love Shaun of the Dead. It's one of my favorite movies. Hot Fuzz didn't sit as well with me. I know, I oh, know there's... Oh, huge fan of that one. I love it. I'm a fan. I'm just not as big a fan as other people. But yeah, I... I really enjoy Edgar Wright's work, and this doesn't scream Edgar Wright to me, but I'm glad he did it. And I know he wasn't the director, but I enjoyed Ant-Man. I enjoyed a lot of his writing. He's a big, he's, he's a big writing presence as yeah. well with everything that he works on. Uh, he's, he's written for everything he's directed. And yeah. then he, he, as you mentioned, I guess there, sorry. And he co-writes with his leads uh in a lot of these so simon pegg's a a lot of the credits with co-written or ant-man he writes with paul rudd so he's really working with his stars and adam mckay who's a saturday night live alum writer on ant-man there as well he works with will ferrell usually but 
Uh, no, it's a good point. Uh, he has a good knack for comedy. I feel like I feel like I think of him as being a partner with Simon Pegg because again, Shaun of the Dead had Fuzz World's End, and he helps also produce Attack of the Block, by the way, which also has Nick Frost in it. Okay, and John so, Boyega. Yeah, and so there's a certain degree of that kind of humor is who, what I associate with Edgar Wright. So interesting, you know, Scott Pilgrim's in 2010. It's earlier in his career. This is the first curveball he's thrown us at this point. Yeah, he was 35 years old when he did this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Baby Driver, to some degree, what Brian was mentioning there was another branch out for him. It it was an, It's more of a straight-up action movie. There's definitely some humorous elements in it, but it, it also felt a little bit different. I'm, I'm sad to say I've seen all of his movies, except for I haven't seen Last Night in Soho, and I haven't seen his very first one, A Fistful of Fingers. But unfortunately for me, Scott Pilgrim might actually be at the bottom of that list for me. I'm making a sad face right now. I just, with all the video game stuff, with all the music stuff in this, I'm shocked this isn't a bigger movie for you, Russ. Yeah. Uh, the other, the other perhaps less popular opinion that I'm going to have is Hot Fuzz is probably my favorite. Fair enough. That's got a pretty That's good fine. following. Yeah. I just, that movie, that movie checks a lot of boxes for me. I'd have a really hard time choosing between this and Baby Driver. They are two very different movies, but man, I really enjoy both of them a lot. Yours has to be Shaun of the Dead, doesn't it, Chad? I think it's this one. I think oh, really? Scott Pilgrim is above Shaun of the Dead, but it'd be really close. Yeah, you're Mr. Zombie fan. That, I, that surprised me. I do. I love Shaun of the Dead. So the uh, I love the fast pace, as I had mentioned, and uh, you know that has to do with um, the, the cinematography. I like the transitions. The camera has these big swiping angles, and they speed up the animation of what people's do, like people do. I really like when Michael Sarah signs the Amazon form yeah. and then throws it behind him directly in the garbage can. Another uh, one of those things are, um, you know, uh, knives comes and like he jumps through a window, like very cartoonish. I like these cartoon like elements and they're again, they're kind of one off though. Like I wish, I wish I do wish the cartoony stuff happened throughout. Wallace calling Stacy. It's like, how, how is he doing that? He's not conscious. Yes. <laughs> I thought it was odd that they all shared the same bed. I thought that was hilarious. Was I thought that was funny too. <laughs> and it just yeah. kept getting more full. Yeah. There were right. four people in it at one point. <laughs> yeah. Him stealing Andrew Kendrick's date, too, was really funny. Again! This one goes out to the guy who keeps heckling us in the ba- uh, on this uh, balcony. Yeah. I, I like the one at the party where he draws a crude picture of Ramona and then he shows it to people. And yes. He goes rapid fire, like, what do you know about this girl? And uh, people give you, like, these very ambiguous, like, lines that make her more mysterious or whatever. That That's, that's a very fun... Uh, yeah. That's a very fun set of transitions there. As we, anything else on uh, film creation? I mean, I, I, I know you say it's over long, and I know that's probably the biggest criticism on this movie, but it does cram a lot of the comics because there were actually, I think there's at least three that he's kind of stealing source material for and putting into one movie. So it's it's tough, and I respect what he was able to accomplish for that. Mm-hmm. So this movie is set in Toronto, assume present of 2010, and uh, it features a lot of Toronto sites, and it feels very Toronto. It's got Castle Loma, which is kind of an iconic mansion. We talked about that in the X-Men episode uh, that we did, and so yeah. it's back here. It, it pops in a lot of movies, uh, but also they've got St. Michael's College, uh, the Toronto Public Library, Winwich Library. You know, there's other various distinct streets in Toronto, 
and uh you know there's a pizza place that uh, i guess is um decisively canadian so the developers of the series uh it, they wanted it to be in toronto because the books are very specific with their local details and edgar writer or edgar wright wanted to use that imagery from the books and so that it was very much anchored to its place so it was cool. I, you know, they're walking around their coats. The snow is a distinct character of the movie, and uh, when they're walking outside, and you know, the, the dumb hat, yeah. like your hair's bad. Did you want to come outside and walk in the cold? I, I, I did get the feel that this was uh, very Toronto, except for there was a very few Canadian accents. I do like the cheap shots that Brandon Roth's character kept taking. Fun in Toronto, <laughs> which is. Weird, because Toronto is an enormous city with a ton of stuff to do. It's bigger than Los Angeles. Yeah. I love Toronto. I give hats off to uh, just the fact that they named their basketball stadium Jurassic Park. Like, that's just fun. <laughs> I mean, Toronto's a great place to visit. I, I highly recommend it. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those places that you just don't think to go visit sometimes when you're in America. But, I mean, when you go there, man, I, I could... That's a, that's a place where I I would be happy to live there. Uh, obviously, the winter's a little bit harsh, but that's okay. Another Canadian reference, they mentioned that Crash and the Boys hail from Brampton. Brampton, Ontario is located just outside of Toronto, which, not coincidentally, is the hometown of Mr. Michael Sarah. Yeah. So, again, Wright's very heavy with the references and the crossing over and stuff in this movie. Brian, did you like the urban... Toronto setting, I guess it's a suburban too, because they kind of live in a like where Scott lives surprises me greatly. Yeah, you get you get a little bit of everything in this. Uh, I I feel like you almost get a upstate New York vibe, like Buffalo kind of thing going on, but you know, thus is Canada. Yeah, I think you get a little bit of everything in this because I mean, everything from the uh, Would you like to see the house I grew up in? And it's literally right across the street from his apartment. Yes. And then you also get like flashy, like over the top club scene in the last, you know, part of the movie. So, uh, and everything in between, you get the dive bar, you get, you know, where they work, the parks, every, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, a lot of stuff. Oh man, this isn't even enough money for the bus ride home. <laughs> Wardrobe is another place where a lot of the references come into this. Chad's already mentioned it a couple of times about all the different shirts and stuff that Scott has. Are there any other wardrobe things in particular that caught your eye, Chad? I mean, his shirts are always matching Ramona's hair. So that was really nice. But uh... in a way, maybe I want to become whatever you need me to become kind of thing. Do you think <laughs> like the rubber stamp for like, uh, is that is that a wardrobe reinforcement of the uh I don't do drugs unless, I mean, unless you do drugs, in which case I do all the drugs. (laughs) Yeah, Scott's a little needy, but I I did like that. And uh, the X's, a lot of them have these nice black and white contrasts, but Gideon in particular, he adds red to it. It's kind of the final boss, but Envy Adams is black and white. Uh, Todd's black and white. Uh, The, I can't, Roxy, I think is her name, is black and white. So they've got a lot of that contrast going on. Yep. Chris Evans' character is all black. Yep. Yeah, and Matthew Patel just has kind of brownish. He's dressed as a pirate. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you a pirate? Pirates are cool. <laughs> pirates are in. Yes, because I wish they had said, are they? <laughs> as Brian raises his rum and says, yo-ho. Yeah, right. Brian, what about you? Any other wardrobe moments that stood out for you? Not really. I mean, this is these are basically like most of my high school t-shirts and stuff like that this is i i enjoy uh wardrobe like this just because it's all the things that i don't really feel like i can wear much anymore 
So I, Plum Tree was a T-shirt that Scott had at one point at the Battle of the Bands, and I, that, that kind of nagged at me. Turns out that's an all-girl indie rock band, and they have a song called Scott Pilgrim on their 1998 album Predicts the Future. That song became the inspiration for Brian Lee O'Malley's to create the graphic novel's character. So yep. uh, again, the the source material and music are very tied together. And then another one that I liked was Scott has a uh, SP uh, with a heart on one of his T-shirts. This is the Smashing Pumpkins logo, but it's also Scott Pilgrim, which is very appropriate yep. as well. And he also has a Zero T-shirt as well, which is another Smashing Pumpkins reference as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm a Smashing Pumpkins fan. Uh, and so th- th- those caught my eye as well. And uh, whenever I hear the name Ramona, I think of uh, the Ramones have a song named Ramona. And I think that that was uh, perfect for that. Um, there's also a bit of a Beck overreach. And Beck, as a musician, has some involvement in this, as we'll talk about here shortly as well. So it might be more the Beck reference as opposed to the Ramones rep. They have already made a Scott Pilgrim 2020 presidential T-shirt as well. <laughs> Did not know that. That exists. Yeah. That exists out there. I was messing around looking up the different t-shirts he was wearing and it came up as like an option on Amazon and I was like, oh, okay. And I think it's worth noting the gear. Uh, Scott's bass guitar is a Rickenbacker 4003 in the movie. So uh, it's uh, very fitting for him. It is one of those things where I'm not a bassist, but I know people who are. I I play guitar, but uh, all the bassists in this use a pick. Yeah, I noticed that. Which is, uh, I I think, kind of a no-no. Yeah, Philippe uses a pick. Not normally. He'll, he'll drop it he's on got, the really quick ones. I was gonna say he's got he's he's a he's a slapper man. Yeah, yeah, but he uses it sometimes. But I did find that interesting. No one was using their fingers. Yeah. What kind of fun thing though? Michael Sarah could play bass. Yeah, he was the only band member that could actually play an instrument. He had to dumb it down. Well, I mean, it's punk rock garage music. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah you. Uh, it, just play it right. I, I would say it's not dumbing it down. Sometimes, uh, sometimes going simple is easy. So, Brian, this movie is steeped not only in video game references, which we've talked about a lot, but also musical references. Are there any of those that jumped out at you? Not necessarily about the references, just about how they use them to really further the storyline. I'm a huge fan of movies that really use music well, and I don't just mean scores. I mean that can actually use songs and and make them a focal point of the movie and that's one thing that this movie did and so did baby driver yes this one features radiohead producer neil goodrich beck as i mentioned before metric uh who i love great band broken social scene cornelius dan the automator kid koala and dave campbell all these people contributed to the soundtrack and uh i have to say it the sound the, the soundtrack is definitely a high point for me on this one this music is music that I would just listen to. I haven't, really, because, again, the movie didn't stick with me enough, but the music is good enough to stand on its own, I would say. The Clash at Demon Head song Brie Larson does is really catchy. I like that. I like... That's a Metric song. Yeah. It's Black Sheep yep. uh, by Metric. Brie, uh, different vocals. It's also worth noting that the, uh, the Clash at Demon, uh, Demon Head, the name of their band is an NES game. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought that was a Clash reference for just to, like... The band The oh, Clash. No. Okay. Oh, no, it's it's actually an NES game. Okay. Well, that's still cool then. Yeah. I like the I I do like how Sex Bob always 
kind of has this like there's a Ramones like quality where they would just go one two three four and then like they would play the Sonic Russian. So in that vein, they have this we're Sex Bob and we're here to watch Scott kick your teeth in. Yeah, you know, or whatever struck their mood at the time. One of the better ones was uh, we're Sex Bob and we're here to sell out and make money. <laughs> Kim's a great character. Russell <laughs> thinks differently. That's fine. But yeah, that metric song that you were mentioning a second ago. I'm I'm a big fan of that one. That that's just one that I have in my iTunes library. I like anyway. the, sh- the short ones that were written by that first band. It's like we hate you, hope you die, or something like that. Yeah. We hate you, we hate you, we hope you die. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's excellent. <laughs> those were even just like ten second ditties, but the those were great jokes. Right. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you guys are Beck fans. I am. Uh, but Beck wrote and composed a lot of the music within this. And so the music that Sex Babam plays, which was awesome, and I really love it. It has this Iggy and the Stooges garage rock punk sound to it. So the opening credits song, the first band of the song, uh, Garbage Man, that they play at the Battle of the Bands, that's Beck. And yeah. that doesn't necessarily... I mean, Beck comes in so many different flavors, forms, shapes. Like, if you don't like Beck today, it's okay. He'll probably be different tomorrow. If you really like it, don't get too attached to it he's going to change and so this is just another one of those really cool moments for like oh man beck's such a chameleon that was so cool that he had done this and so uh, all that stuff really makes me uh like it more one that i did think that was odd did you happen to notice when ramona is with gideon that there's like the rolling stones under my thumb playing in mm-hmm. the background yes which is like appropriate because she's under his thumb but it didn't fit the tone of the music i wanted i wanted a garage rock kind of cover of under my thumb which would have saved them a ton of money in royalties <laughs> fair enough any other music comments brian no not really uh outside of uh get the soundtrack i i think i actually own multiple copies of it because i ended up buying the the record on sale too yeah any chance you get to really get lost in another uh aspect of these movies we talk about whether it's a soundtrack or whatnot i used to not be oddly enough a big soundtrack person especially when purchasing uh albums and I took a really hard right turn on that uh, in the 2000s. And uh, if it's not something you don't really get into, too, branch out a little bit. I think you might like it. I will squeeze in that he calls this out in the movie, but he does. Scott Pilgrim is like, hey, I learned the line from Final Fantasy 2, the, the bass line. So he's the playing baseline. the fight theme. And that made me happy. You're a rock god. <laughs> <laughs> That's a game that may be too old for our audience <laughs> at this point. So I thought it was odd musical moment here. Chris Evans' character is leaving his truck, or his trailer, sorry, and the 20th Century Fox music plays. My first time watching it, I didn't think much of it. But this is a Universal movie. Yeah. So that was unexpected. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I just, did too. Even the opening with the Universal and the 8, 8-bit MIDI style. I liked that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love the MIDI. Yeah. That, that, that was very appropriate. Oh, one other Beck reference that I forgot to mention. At one point, Scott says, everything's peaches and, and gravy yeah. instead of peaches and cream. Well, that's a bit of a Beck reference as well. Beck's album, Midnight Vultures, which came out... Mm, not important. So Beck's album, Midnight Vultures, had <laughs> two songs on it, Peaches and Cream and Nicotine and Gravy. Yeah. And so it's kind of a merger of all of this. So Beck's all over the place on this and so... That's uh, been for me. I got to admit, though, you're a big fan of this movie, Chad. These are songs that I'm a big fan of. And I know musically we sometimes it's not a total divergence, but these are not this. This this soundtrack seems like something that you would not be as into. I I love all the songs. Um, 
for Beck, I mean, like you said, it's it's hard to find something you don't or you won't enjoy from Beck. He's just all over the place. You can find something that you'll enjoy. And as far as the newer wave rock, I metrics fine. And Brie Larson did a pretty good cover here. It was interesting. All the act, all the actors actually got involved. Yeah. In doing their stuff, so that was pretty cool. They all learned to play the songs, and by keeping it simple, it worked out great. And like I said, I would, I'd listen to Sex Bomb. Yeah, I would too. Sign them up for three albums. <laughs> I'm so so sad. <laughs> so very very sad. Yeah, that was the song. So. It's now time for look for this, Brian. Look for this. Uh, my look for this is uh, Bill Hader is the voice. Uh, we we're gonna end up uh, over copying a couple of these. Like every time something came up, I just mentally was like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did mention a lot of references. Like I purposefully left a couple people out of the cast rundown specifically for these, and we covered all of them. And I was like, ah, sorry. Chad, uh, Chad, look for this. For me, Scott's shirt briefly changes from that zero that Russell mentioned to a four and a half. This is kind of poking fun at Chris Evans' Fantastic Four reference, but four and a half is directly after he defeats uh, the fourth evil X and he breaks up with Ramona, so he has the potential to become an evil X. So that was neat. Oh, I I saw the four and a half. I didn't equate that to it. That's a really interesting thing you pointed out. Body count. Over under prices right rules without going over. Chad, how many what's your body count? In including random henchmen in the Gideon fight? Yes. Seventy. And Brian, body count. Fifty two. Brian's closer, but you both went over. It's forty six. Oh, wow. Forty seven if you count Scott dying, but then he gets resurrected. Fair enough. So uh but good guesses on all of those. He was <laughs> he was racking up the kills there at the end. Yes he was. Right. Yes. And then the other one that I liked was uh, at the flight center, uh, which was a lit up sign at Julie's party. The L's flickering out and that says fight center, which is yeah. an allusion to what's coming. It takes 30 minutes for that to get around to it. So let's. I will throw out one more that was interesting to me. Allison Pill, the, the drummer that plays Kim. Mm-hmm. She doesn't blink except for one point in the movie, so it kind of makes her character I a missed little the, funny. I missed the blink. I, I noticed she didn't blink. It's at the very end when she's saying, uh, worst sex bombs and uh, Scott Pilgrim's going to kick your teeth in or whatever. She closes her eyes there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a hard close. So, yeah. yeah. Definitely she has this dead <laughs> deadpan delivery, dead, dead yeah. eyes kind of, uh, you know, staring off. Okay, it's my favorite part of the show, movie superlatives. Brian, do you want to start us off with your MVP? Yes. uh, I have no MVP for this movie. I like everybody in this movie, but I don't think any one person really stands out as clear-cut better than anyone else. Um, I think everybody does a very good job at doing their job in this movie. So, uh, yeah, for for first for me, I'm 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 not hats offing to any one person. Push. <laughs> so maybe Brian Lee O'Malley for writing all sure. this stuff. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that then. All everybody right. did their job. Chad, who's your? Okay, Chad, who's your MVP? I'm in agreement with Fry as far as everyone did their job really well, but for me, uh, because of that factor, it's got to be Edgar Wright. He puts everything together. He does the casting. He's in charge of 
making this movie what it is. So Edgar Wright, great job. I'm going to say that Michael Sarah is a bigger part of this and the movie studios got off Edgar Wright's back because they knew they had a surefire hit with the, you're right, uh, super bad uh, star Michael Sarah and Arrested Development star Michael Sarah coming in here. I think he carries this movie because his nervous jitteriness, I mean, there aren't very many people. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg and he are somewhat interchangeable at this point in their careers. <laughs> I sometimes, uh, actually, when I first saw Zombieland the first time, I somehow inserted Michael Sarah into it. Oh. Like, don't tell me it wouldn't be good if it wasn't him. It wouldn't. Oh, man. Like, mm-hmm. I like both of them. And I think Jesse Eisenberg is a much better actor. But at this point in their career, they're, they're definitely playing the same game. I, no. No. Oh, I, so here's here's how I disagree with that. Michael Sarah is that nervous, kind of awkward energy. The awkward carries over to Eisenberg, but Eisenberg is the narcissistic, arrogant, awkward. Whereas Michael Sarah is the all shucks. I'm. Yeah, that's that's a big difference. There's what one has. Have you seen Youth and Revolt with Michael Sarah? I'm going to go with no just because I don't remember it, but I feel like that sounds familiar. Okay. In that, in that, in that he has a split personality and his other personality is very uh, confident yeah. and, and borderline arrogant. So I, th- I see some of that coming through with that movie as well, uh, which that movie has a lot of dreamlike sequences as well. So uh, my MVP, though, is Michael Sarah. I just I like his nervous, jittery energy. I just I wish he had gotten more movies. Unfortunately, I don't know. Maybe year one set him back. <laughs> yeah year one was pretty bad yeah that's, a, that, that's, that's unfortunate for all involved that's harold <laughs> ramus man that's a bummer uh best supporting actor brian uh my best supporting is anna kendrick uh i love her part in this the constant uh counterweight to scott's flightiness um and i'm just an overall big anna kendrick fan so she got some points okay, that for makes this sense. movie okay yeah yeah and Chad, Best Supporting Actor. I really love Kieran Culkin as Wallace Wells. I thought his antics yeah. with Colin Stacy, his apathetic advice to Scott, they're just all so entertaining throughout the movie. And why doesn't this guy have more work? I want more from him. Okay. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, Mary, Mary actually was saying the same thing. Like, why have we not seen him in more movies? <laughs> so I'm going to say Ellen Wong, who plays Knives Chow in this one. Oh, her, she's great. Her transformation from uh doting uh you know like admira- admiring almost like uh you know infatuated giddy girl to this crazed excited junkie for everything that's music and video games and and then also obviously the fighting part of it she she has the greatest amount of change in her and uh, her energy's great when she's at the end sticking swords in people's faces yeah. she definitely got some good laughs for me and she's right she was too cool for scott who's kind of a jerk <laughs> and so uh i was i was happy that she didn't end up with scott i love ellen wong she's great she did she did a great job hidden gem brian uh, Hidden Jim was Thomas Jane as the leader of the vegan police. I thought that was hilarious. That whole sequence, I was dying. Chicken isn't vegan? <laughs> that's, that's Gelato? A, that clearly was a Hidden Jim because I missed that that was Thomas Jane. So. Yeah, and you're a fan of that Punisher movie. I figured. I am, yeah. yeah, I figured you would have been all over that. Yeah, yeah well, that's my fault. That's, it's okay to miss some. <laughs> uh, Hidden Jim Chad. Brandon Roth for me uh, as Todd Ingram. Uh, he's superman he's the atom he's just this kind of 
likable, clumsy guy in most of this, and he was a jerk here. And it's great. I love seeing Brandon Ralph being a jerk. The cleaning lady is going to be dusting you up on Monday. That, that exchange was awkward. And I w- again, I would like to see some of that more awkward conversation. That was very Ray Palmer from Legends of Tomorrow-esque, like. He yeah. tries to make a joke and it just doesn't work. And then, well, I like that he tried to explain it. I I, I liked the, uh, because she's the cleaning lady and she wouldn't be working on the weekend. So she's going to come in and she's going to, she's going to dust you up because you've been pulverized into dust. I, I like that spelling it out. So that's a really nice choice there. I'm going to go with Johnny Simmons, the guy who plays young Neil. Yeah. His blank, dumb look was just so perfect for this guy who was just like in a band of like, and I, I also enjoy the, Hey, what do you play? And uh, he's like, Tetris, Zelda. Yeah. It's kind of a big question, really. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Simmons there. Great uh, choice. Not in a lot of other movies. Perks of being Wallflower. Uh, and I, I was disappointed. Uh, There's something familiar about him. I promise you I've seen him. I just couldn't put my finger on it. So recast, Brian. So I kind of struggled with this one. And I would like to have like one more really big name guy in a throwaway basically throw away part in this and i was trying to remember i think his name was like kamiao or something the guy he initially asks who ramona flowers is you know they, yeah, his little box says yeah como that's it all right yeah and it says knows everybody i wish that was like mark Wahlberg or something like i'm not saying it needs to be mark Wahlberg, <laughs> but someone who has also done comedies who doesn't necessarily look like a a comedic actor but like mark Wahlberg, circa the other guys kind of thing where just you're like oh my god is that mark Wahlberg? just super quick a-list celebrity in it for two seconds in that part i'm not sure he's gonna nail the hipster part that that como's doing no yeah i don't know who i would yeah i don't know who i would plug in there but i was trying to think of someone just outlandishly inappropriate for the part that would almost go the other direction with it. If that makes sense. Yeah, that would be fun. Like it's so wrong. It works. Now, uh, Chad, who are you going to recast? I think I'm going to recast the other half of the vegan police, uh, not Thomas Jane. And I'm going to recast it with Ryan Reynolds, who is Canadian. So So I I want another Canadian in this movie. (laughs) That would be really good. I could, he would deliver those lines so much better. <laughs> Thomas James is going to yeah. lose most of the speaking lines because he had more of the speaking lines because he does more, yeah. more of the talking. So he's going to have to be the quiet one because Ryan Reynolds is going to steal the show. But I would sign me up for that one. I like that one. Yeah. Mine's going to be mine's going to be Lizzie Kaplan. I'm going to put sorry. I'm going to put uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays Ramona. I'm going to replace her with Lizzie Kaplan from uh, you would know her oh, from a number no. of things. Mean Girls, Cloverfield, Hot Tub Time Machine. Yeah. Yeah. Although Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. I did not know that. Yeah. I haven't yep. seen that. Yeah. Cloverfield connection. Best shot of the movie, Brian. My um, bet. Oh, my favorite shot is definitely uh, Scott jumping out the window when Knives is there asking if he's there. <laughs> like, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> it's one of the best. And upon rewatching it today, it's it's easily the one part of the movie that gets me every time. And for some reason, I never remember it's about to happen. <laughs> More on that later. Chad, what, it was, what was your best shot? During the fight with Lucas Lee, Scott gets kicked through a sheet that's depicting New York skyline. And you briefly see Toronto's skyline in the background. And that shot is just great on multiple levels because... 
Toronto winds up being the stand-in for New York, so there was a lot of dissing on Toronto there, and that that the meta of that shot got me. And Day of the Dead, uh, Toronto stands in for Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, that's frustrating. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I like I love Canadian bacon. So back back then in Canadian bacon, Toronto's not as built up at that point, and they get to Toronto, and they're like, <laughs> they go, it's like Albany, only clean. <laughs> 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 oh man uh so my my uh best shot's actually gonna be where so th- in this scene scott goes into a bathroom he has a p bar it goes down to zero uh like that little reference but it, as he leaves this bathroom he turns the light out and he opens a door and he enters this dreamlike state and it's a sh- uh, school hallway in the back and it's a checkered floor and the dropped uh, acoustic tile ceiling is all kind of checkerboard as well it's very surreal and dreamlike and then ramona goes whizzing by uh in the hallway which leads to a transition of her being at the door with her amazon package this this transition is really good and uh it's very surreal and i just really enjoyed that so and it showed you the daydreaming quality that scott has that was a cool sequence yeah and best scene in the movie ryan so uh, this is where I completely disagree with you on uh, xing out the uh, the twins. I loved the Battle of the Bands uh, amp versus amp sequence, uh, them summoning their their monsters to do battle. Um, I just thought that was visually interesting, and it was just a lot of fun. Okay, okay, you like the giant monster battle. Now, Chad, what about you? What's your best scene? For me, it's the bass battle with Todd, and I'm biased because I play the bass. But Todd's clearly better, but the style and everything coming off of their bases are, is incredible to me. And the end with Todd getting busted by the vegan police is just hilarious. Yeah. My best scene is Brian's best shot. I love the scene where Knives is asking if Scott is home. And he runs behind uh, Wallace in the background <laughs> as Wallace is lying, saying he's not here right now. And then Scott breaks through the window, like diving through a clear story window, out, you know, which is high up overhead. And then he like reaches in and grabs his coat and then it goes back to knives and you see him quickly running down the street abruptly yeah. behind her. It's a very short scene, but it's so cartoonish. So Looney Tunes, I really liked it. And a little bit of a nod to the party scene where he goes around asking people if they've seen Ramona, which I talked about that one earlier. Change one thing, Brian. It's not really a change, but I want a successful sequel to this. Uh, there's, I think, seven books in the Scott Pilgrim universe and i think they easily could have made a sequel to this and i'm just disappointed it didn't happen maybe they'll come back and do it oh i would love that yeah, it's not busy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mary elizabeth winstead is a lot more busy though uh editor wright's also busy yeah i would think but oh, yeah. uh yeah but hey if uh, everybody falls on harder times never never rule out the uh Michael Sarah at age 40. Yeah, you're not... Punching a, stuff. You're not getting Brie Larson cheap anymore. Yeah, I don't know. He's just... Uh, yeah, you're right. Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, was, all these people that it was... Went on to become bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Brian... I'm sorry, Chad. Change one thing. The Seinfeld sequence doesn't work at all for me. I didn't think so. It's so jarring, and it's not video game related, and I just question why they did it. I mean, I love Seinfeld. Yeah, I do too, but, but but why? But why? Yeah. Yeah, I had a couple of those why moments. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've showed my hand on this one. I'm 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 completely behind that one too. Like that's that's I, I'm I'm going to That was not necessary. Might change one thing's aggressive. It's 
cut 20 to 30 minutes off of this movie. The part with Gideon at the end is long. The part with the battle of the bands, uh, I, again, I need five X's, not seven X's. It takes 30 minutes to begin its first fight. I think that even though things are moving super fast, the lead ends long. So there's, I'm not saying there's one place to trim from. I'm saying this movie wants to be around 90 minutes. And that's the kind of movie this is. Yeah, you probably could trim a little between the first three X's because those are the, it takes three quarters of the movie or something like that to get through the first three. And then the rest wind up feeling a little bit rushed. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they take a long time to set up that we get it. Scott had an ex-girlfriend, you know, he's crushed. He's, you know, slumming it by dating a high schooler. And I, I feel like we've, we don't really go anywhere past that early part of this. So I do appreciate that they established, it's like, have you done it with her? He's like, we've done lots of things. And it's like holding hands. Yeah. <laughs> no, they never held hands. They almost held hands. Oh, yeah. I, I almost didn't pick on the first part of the movie because the style is so good, particularly in the first third of the movie. I think the style breaks down towards the back, and that's where I wanted to pick on it a little more. But I, in reality, I think it could trim down from the beginning of the movie as well. And I think you can pull a whole 90 minutes out of this thing. And like Brian said, if you want a sequel, go ahead and cut 30 minutes of this stuff off and put it over there. I don't know what the premise would be going beyond that. More X's? You just keep fighting? No, there, there are less. There yeah, aren't X's there's... in the next one. Yeah, it's they're they're all different plots. Just you keep fighting stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fighting doesn't um, change. Okay. Yeah. Best quote of the movie, Brian. I'm in lesbians with you. <laughs> that was a great one. Okay, and uh, Chad. Short answer: Being vegan just makes you better than most people. <laughs> say, that was pretty good. Yeah, I, I had a hard time finding a best quote in there. Scott said at one point, "I have to go pee due to boredom." <laughs> That's good. And then Neil, and then Neil's like, "I have to pee too." I like him getting that messed up with the knives roll, and he's like, "I have to pee on her." When Ramona asks how old she is, and it spins and gets stuck between, that, "I have to pee." That was a fun graphic. <laughs> I like the one, the other, the other graphic like that where he's look, looking at the her former lesbian girlfriend, and he like the, the bar goes from like doesn't yeah, get it to, to gets like, it to gets it like gets it. I, I like that. that. That whole running theme of. Uh, evil ex-boyfriends, evil exes. Why do you keep saying that? Yeah. yeah. I need that for my life a lot. I, I need the doesn't get it bar to the gets it bar <laughs> a lot. I'm usually uh, I'm usually a step behind. You're bi-curious? Well, I'm bi-furious. Uh, that, that one is a little shaky. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be vegan. He's like, vegan? There was yeah. a lot of those, but I appreciated them. Yeah, I, um, you gotta have a little cheese with it too. Gideon getting mad that uh, I swallowed my gum and it stayed in my and you're like it's gonna be in my digestion tract for seven years. I he, like I like that little. He was the seventh X, so that was appropriate. Yeah, well, there's an urban legend that if you swallow your gum, it will stay in your digestive tract for seven years. Yeah, probably not true. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, but yeah. it's now time to bring it all under the sum- summary here, uh, Brian. What would you rate Scott Pilgrim versus the world on a five-star scale? I'm going to give this a solid four. Okay. Any reasoning? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I pretty much gushed over okay. it about as much as I can. This is just a, it's a great entertainment film. Big on your rewatch scale though, right? Cause you're big on rewatch. Absolutely. Right? Yes. It is huge on my rewatch. And Chad, what would you rate Scott Pilgrim versus the world? I'm giving it five stars. I love, I love this nice. movie. It's one of my favorite movies 
I rewatch it every couple of years. It hits all the right notes for video game nostalgia. As a bass player, I love it. Uh, the Kung Fu, we did Bloodsport last year. It's got better fighting than Bloodsport. And combining comics, graphic novels, all of these things together, just this is my happy place. Half star intervals? Five. Five. Five out of five. Out of five. Yes. Not, not five out of ten. Yes. Okay, okay, just checking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, uh, wow, that, <laughs> Russell's about to be wrong, folks. <laughs> yeah. So let's hear Russell's wrong opinion. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give this one a the two wind stars. Up, the pitch. Oh. Swing and a miss. Yeah. I just, I I enjoy it, but it's, um, you know, substantively, it's it's weak. It's got great style. It's overlong. It's basically Sucker Punch, but funnier. Such a bad oh, I like comparison. Sucker Punch, too. I like Sucker Punch too. You know, they both are catchy fight movies with soundtracks that play the whole time, and there's not a lot of meat in in, in either of them. So um, they're they're visual fests. They're both stylistically creative, but uh, there's just not much underpinning either one for me. So uh, anyway, ooh, I hope we do Sucker Punch at some point so I can tell you why you're wrong. Okay. Well, one more year and it will be eligible. So it's, uh, I think, I think Sucker Punch comes out the following year. So Russell is our evil host and Brian and I are going to have to fight him after the show. How many coins am I worth? Uh, more than a bus fare. One. One coin? (laughs) One coin? (laughs) The one guy, one of the stagehands said, since they're all Canadian coins, he said he pocketed $24. Okay. All right. (laughs) So one of the things that might not have worked for me as well in this one. I didn't like how after uh, Gideon kind of is defeated, Scott is sh- all shared onto knives as if she was going to be with them. She's okay with it, cool with it. And then he's like, no, I want Ramona. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then like knives is just like tossed around like, um, you know, like, a, I don't know, like, a, like an item or something like that. And Scott's choosing between these girls in a very flippant sort of way. And I didn't think that it was a strong enough representation of, you know, this is, the this is the woman i want to be with i went through all this to be with her and there wasn't that strong sense of it was it was almost just like a you know i kind of felt bad through knives with this one so i didn't feel like the girlfriends were necessarily uh valued properly at the end of that yeah yeah maybe so or maybe he needs another uh, like another little dagger that goes with it like the 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 power of respective ladies Okay, that. Okay, I see that now to some degree. That's fair. I think it's really important to note that that Michael Sarah's character in this, like, if you look up the sum of the movie, he is kind of a. I mean, he's not a great person. It's it's much the same as uh, Allison Hannigan in uh, How I Met Your Mother. If you look at the decisions she makes throughout that show and how they affect other people, she's a terrible person. But because it's in a comedy and and the pieces she does fit into the story in a certain way, nobody looks really closely at the decisions she's making and the effects they have. So it's the same thing with Michael Sarah's character in Scott Pilgrim that at the end, you know, he's supposed to have achieved 
a, a higher consciousness for how he treats other people. That's a good point. That's a good point. Plus, in How I Met Your Mother, Lily's really pretty and very adorable. <laughs> yeah. All right. This has been fun. And so next time, let's have some more fun. Do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? I would love yeah, to. Yeah, let's do it. Chat, we got three options for you. Option number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark from 1981. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis come to obtain its awesome powers. Option two, Romancing the Stone from 1984. A mousy romance novelist sets off for Columbia to ransom her kidnapped sister and soon finds herself in the middle of a dangerous adventure hunting for treasure with a mercenary rogue. And then option three, The Da Vinci Code from 2006. A murder inside the Louvre and clues in the Da Vinci paintings lead to the discovery of a religious mystery protected by a secret society for 2,000 years, which could shake the foundations of Christianity. Well, you know how much I love rom-coms, but uh, I'm going to have to go with Indy here, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll be back with Indiana Jones next week. And thank you, uh, all the Lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Your tattoo says hat. Yeah, it used to say hate. But to increase my choices, chances of employment, I had the E removed. How's that going for you? Who doesn't like hats?